If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are doing an entire show about the cause for animal rights. 58 billion animals are killed each year for human consumption. Science has actually shown us that animals have feelings. They think, and they're aware of the pain and suffering that they go through, especially on these factory farms. So when you consume meat, you're consenting to all that pain and suffering that that animal goes through before you eat it. Now, I'm sure if most people were aware of how much pain and suffering that these animals go through, they probably wouldn't want to eat meat. But the reality is that they can shut that part of themselves off. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that animals are the more evolved species aside from humans. They're much more evolved than we are. And I'll explain why I feel that way. Because humans, they deal with stress. They got to have like four or five kids, job, all kinds of stuff going on, stupid car insurance commercials you got to sit through. And then you look at a dog or a cat, dogs especially. They get worshipped by human beings most of the time. They can run around. They do whatever they want. They sleep on the bed. They sleep on the couch. They have enough flexibility to lick themselves, which is fantastic because that costs a lot of money if you're a human being. You're trying to get someone to do that. And they, they're just pure, unconditional love. Pure, unconditional love. How is that not a higher evolution than human beings? The reason why we are doing this show tonight is to really emphasize just how important animals are, how they are conscious, and how maybe we should consider looking at them differently. Yes, bacon tastes fantastic, but does there have to be so much pain and suffering that has to go through in order for you to enjoy the bacon? There's got to be another way. There's got to be a way to be more respectful to all living beings. Maybe if we're respectful to all living beings, I don't know, we'll be more respectful to ourselves. The Outer Limits of Innocence Radio Show proudly presents the cause for animal rights. It is with great joy to welcome back to the Outer Limits of Innocence Radio Show, Miss Jane Velez Mitchell, author, journalist, and editor of JaneUnchained.com. I would like to bring to your attention that when Miss Mitchell was host of her own national TV show on HLN. She actively went out and promoted every um, time she could things about animal rights. She, she utilized her uh, platform to help so many great causes with relating to animals. So, Miss Mitchell, thank you so much for being with us today. Please call me Jane. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Jane. 
Jade, can you please tell us a little bit about JaneUnchained.com? What are some of the things that you're doing, and how can people get involved with some of your efforts? Well, yes. What we're doing is a multi-platform social media news outlet for animal rights and the vegan compassionate lifestyle. Basically, uh, what happened is I went out after my show wrapped up, and it was a great run, and my girlfriend had given me a GoPro camera, and I said to her, let's go out and cover some animal rights protests because now I'm kind of free to do whatever I want, and I can cover these protests. So, uh, And first of all, I was very blessed to be able to cover animal rights on my show for six years, and I'm always grateful for the opportunity to have done that. So that was all good. But we went out just for fun to cover some animal rights protests, and the thing we started noticing immediately is that nobody was covering them. There was no media coverage, and sometimes there were 75, 100, 150 people demonstrating, chanting, marching out in the cold. Uh, I'm here in New York City at the moment, and I remember once we were outside the Barclays Center, and they were protesting against the Ringling Brothers, and there were 150 people chanting for hours, no media coverage. And I said, you know, there's something wrong with this. There's a, there's a news media blackout on animal rights. And, well, why? You know, it's pretty obvious if you look at the advertisers, meat and dairy, uh, are the fast food companies, you know, they don't want animal rights to become the social justice movement of the 21st century, but it will become the social justice movement of the 21st century. What do you century. see the indication that it will become? What do you, what Things indication are changing. Is- 8% of Israel is vegan. Um, I just was at Central Florida Veg Fest, and uh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people there exploring and participating in the vegan compassionate lifestyle with hundreds of booths and people sending tons of... This is Central Florida. This isn't Santa Monica or, or uh, you know, the village in Manhattan. This is the heart of America. And uh, then I went to Boston, and Boston was packed, the Boston Veg Fest. People are waking up to the fact that meat consumption is not only unnecessary, because there are millions of people like myself who haven't eaten meat or dairy in decades and are doing just fine, but that it's actually causing most of our problems in society. It's the leading cause of climate change. you got to see this... Uh, a documentary called Cowspiracy. It's on Netflix. Cowspiracy. Think of conspiracy with a cow. Cowspiracy. It shows how uh, meat production, uh, the destruction of the rainforest for grazing land, the methane the animals use, the inefficient use of resources to create. Uh, think about it. Think about the amount of grain and water and feed that goes into raising one cow for slaughter. That could feed an entire village uh, in in a third world country. So, a uh, climate change, world hunger, and uh, of course, the obesity crisis, fast food has spurred the obesity crisis. The uh, level of obesity in this country, two-thirds of Americans overweight or obese, it parallels perfectly the rise of fast food. If you look at the two charts, fast food started in 1950s, mid-50s, and so did the obesity crisis. And they, as they rose, one out of every four Americans eats at a fast food restaurant every day, despite all the warnings that that food is toxic and not good for us. Uh, additionally, uh, there were just articles connecting meat to cancer. I'm not talking about in some fringe. I'm talking about on the cover of the New York Times. Yesterday, there was an article, and uh, because the World Health Organization came out with a major conclusion that meat causes cancer. So it causes cancer. It, it, uh, heart disease is the number one killer. That's clogged arteries. Arteries clogged with cholesterol. Cholesterol comes from animals. There's no cholesterol in plants. So everything that's killing us and destroying the environment and contributing to world poverty has to do with our consumption of meat and dairy. 
So we don't need to do it. Just stop doing it. The problem is we live in a carnist society. What do I mean by a carnist society? That means a society that has oppressive an oppressive system, just like there have been other oppressive systems like slavery or the oppression of women, where the, the baseline given when you're born is that you're going to eat meat. And so you accept it without thinking. But what we're asking people to do and what a growing number of millions and millions of Americans and people around the world are doing are questioning that carnist belief system. Now, uh, the, the unnecessary destruction, torture, and murder of 70 billion land animals every year for food is something that uh, should not be accepted blindly. And we need to move away from the concept of is ought. Just because something is doesn't mean it ought to be. If that were true, we would never have moved beyond slavery. We would never have given women the right to vote. And now we are looking at the is ought and fighting that falsehood when it comes to meat consumption. If you love animals, do not eat, eat them. That's the bottom line. You can love your dog all you want, but you need to expand that circle of compassion beyond your dog or cat to other beings like pigs and cows and turkeys and chickens that are just as feeling and have just as much personality as your dog or cat. Okay, but uh, Jane, let me ask you this. For people who are out there who are saying, well, look, you know, why do I have to do this? Why... Why can't I enjoy my steak, and why can't I just be a decent person? I mean, I'm not aspiring to be a saint. What is the purpose for them, or the biggest reason why? Because, a person who... it's, first of all, it's really bad for you. It's really bad for you. Secondly, your case bud should not trump all other ethical or moral considerations. Just because you like it doesn't mean, just because you like the taste, A, those taste buds will change. You know, I used to like alcohol. I couldn't go a day without drinking. And 20 years ago, I hit bottom, and I thought I could never live without alcohol. Guess what? I haven't had a drink in almost 21 years. April will be 21 years, and I'm happier than I ever have. In fact, my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk. So uh, you think you can't give up meat and you need it? No. Just like I thought I couldn't give up alcohol, well, I'm much better off without it. You're going to be much better off without meat. It's going to take 28 days. There's a reason why rehab is 28 days long. It takes 28 days for your taste buds to change. It takes 28 days for something to go through your system. After I gave up meat and dairy, somebody, after about a month or so, accidentally put cheese in my salad, and I tasted it, and I spat it out. It's mucus. It's disgusting. But we've been conditioned to like the taste. You know, you ever go to foreign cultures and you say, how could they possibly eat that? And you see them eating something disgusting, and, and they eat it. They gobble it up like, ooh, this is great. Well, because they've been conditioned to eat it since they were born. We can be conditioned to eat anything. We can be conditioned to eat dogs. You know, we get upset about people in Korea eating dogs. Well, guess what? Pigs that we eat by the billions have a higher IQ than dogs. I was just at the Central Florida Veg Fest where they had some uh, pigs that were there as pets. And they walk around with the dogs. They're just like dogs. They wag their tails. They have the, the personality of dogs. They have a higher IQ than dogs. So don't go uh, pointing the finger at people in Korea eating dogs if you're eating pigs. And, and it, you know, it's just really unnecessary. Try something new. You've been doing the same thing for decades. Why not give it a shot? Ms. Jane Velez Mitchell, I want to thank you so much for your time. Please go to Jane Velez's website at janeonchain.com. Again, 
Jane has been a very passionate and continued forceful advocate for animal rights for many number of years. So when she's tweeting and when she's posting things on Facebook, you want to look and see what she's doing because Jane is involved in some of these biggest landmark cases and some of these biggest struggles for animal rights. And uh, Jane, thank you so much for Jane all your great work and efforts. Unchained.com. Check it out. Let's together we can make this world a more peaceful place. I love you. Joining us now is Sean Simmons, who is founder of KittyBungalow.org, another hero Hi. of animal rights. Ms. Simmons, can you please tell us a little bit about your organization and what you have accomplished? Sure. My organization, Kitty Bungalow Charm School for Wayward Cats, is 100% feral cat street rescue. So we focus on the underserved and overlooked street cat. And it's actually the street cat that is the cause of most shelter deaths because it has to do with unfixed cats out in the wild and out on the streets that are having babies. And those are the kittens that are ending up in shelters and that are ending up being euthanized. Okay. So what do you guys do that's completely different than some of the other organizations that are out there? Yeah, so we focus um, by working on the street, doing TNR, which is Trap, Neuter, Return, so we're out working with community partners to help them clean up their neighborhoods and their streets of uh, unfixed stray cats. So by preventing them from having more babies, we're helping to lower the euthanasia rate in the city shelters. The other thing that we do, which is a really different model, is that we're taking in all of the young, feral, hissy kittens, and we bring them into our facility where we have about 80 weekly volunteers that socialize them and turn them from hissy little street urchins into Ivy League lap cats so they can have their forever homes. So we've okay. adopted out at this point um, about 900 cats, and uh, we will have provided about almost 5,000 free spay-neuters within the community. That's fantastic. It was looking at, yeah, you guys have had a tremendous growth in your last five years. Now, if anyone is out there wants to use your model, how can they do it? What are some of the things that they can do in order to apply your model within their own communities? And also, how can they um, volunteer and help? Absolutely. The first thing that I would suggest is that if you're interested in helping out cats and lowering the, um, uh, the euthanasia rate at your shelters, look around in your cities and find out in your communities if there are TNR programs available. Um, get involved in an existing TNR program. That is the quickest and easiest way that you can help. As a, a volunteer-run organization, we are always looking for more people. So rather than going through all of the um, hurdles of starting your own, see what's out there first. Get involved and put your energy into something that's already existing. We absolutely need you. Okay. If you don't find a TNR program that's out and up and running, um, you can uh, contact us um, through our website at uh, kittybungalow.org and ask us for some pointers. There's also a great national organization, Alley Cat Allies, um, that has been around forever that really founded TNR. Um, but we will absolutely help you through the beginning steps. And it's very easy. I started out in my own backyard. I was not a cat owner. I was not a huge long-term animal lover. I had feral cats in my backyard, and I started with my problem, and then I expanded it through my street and my community, and now I'm the headmistress at Kitty Bungalow Charm School for Wayward Cats. Well, Ms. Sean Simmons, it was a real great pleasure to speak with you. And, again, that website is Kitty bungalow.org. Thank you so much, Ms. Simmons, and best wishes on your continued great efforts. 
Thank you, Ryan. We appreciate it. Joining us now is Mr. Randy Orloff. He is founder of Project Pets and the website spayneuterlove.com. He is one of the nation's most passionate animal rights advocates. Mr. Orloff, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Ryan, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Got it. Mr. Orloff, you've done a lot of things over the years to further the cause of animal rights and to foster more humane attitudes towards animals. Can you please explain to our audience why you took up this cause and what what are some of the most areas of success you've had? Well, sure. Um, It's really hard to put my finger on why I got as involved with this cause as I did, except that um, when I moved to North Carolina about 10 years ago, I went to the shelters to go get myself another family member, and I saw the difference in the shelters in the South were so much different than the shelters in the North. Up North, they still put them in cages, and unfortunately, they still put them down, but not in the numbers that they do down here. A lot more animals are adopted, and there's a lot more effort being made on the West Coast and up in the northern states to get animals into good homes. Down here, it was more of the old school, let's kill them as fast as we can. It's the only way we can keep the homeless population down. So I started Project Pets back then to try to help people spay and neuter their animals to try to reduce the number of homeless animals that were running around. Um, Now, this organization that you have, uh, how how would you measure some of your successes? Well, by far my biggest success in the last couple of years has been our effort to end gas chambers in the shelters in North Carolina. When I moved here, there were 33 counties that were using gas chambers out of 100 counties in the state. Um, And I started a Facebook page called simply We Will End Gasing in North Carolina and working in conjunction with some wonderful people at the Humane Society of the United States, North Carolina, and with different rescues around. We held rallies in these different counties, and I spoke to county commissioners and encouraged people to sign petitions, which we printed and brought to the media and brought to the county commissioners. Um, And one by one, they started to stop gassing. And then last year, we were down to seven and they finally passed a rule at the Department of Agriculture banning gas chambers. So as of February 15, 2015, there is no more gassing animals in North Carolina. And that was an amazing, an amazing triumph. And for the audience members that are not aware, when Randy talks about gassing, yes, they would actually put animals in a gas chamber akin to the worst uh, forms of human suffering that we've come to know, and that's how they would put animals down in a very cruel and uh, you know, dis- disturbing-like manner, and you, you you had that triumph. And if you look at some of the things that you've done, you're just one individual, and yet you've kind of put into motion various movements and various thought forms that have been adopted by many others, which in turn has allowed for a greater sense of compassion among animals. Now, there are other people that are out there that are very passionate about animal rights advocacy, what are some of the keys that you would describe as your, your, your keys of success that anyone can do in order to you know, foster more 
respect for animals and the collective consciousness? Well, the number one thing that I've been focusing on is I'm asking everybody who understands how bad the situation is, that we're killing four to five million animals, healthy animals, every year in our county shelters, that we don't have to be killing them. And um, I actually put together a website called shelterrevolution.org, and we explain exactly how we could set up a series of community adoption centers. Um, we'll get back to that in a minute, but to answer your question more directly, I encourage everybody to share what they know, Ryan, to make this a topic of conversation. It doesn't have to be so ugly you can't talk about it, but it is an ugly truth that we have to face up to. Um, I've had success because I've been able to tap into a lot of these wonderful people who are working very hard and through the media, getting people to get together and work together more. And that has really helped be, be successful. Okay. And what do you say to people that are out there trying to get people to recognize and respect animals more? Yet there's, a, I'd say, a, a substantial part of the population that couldn't care less about what happens. They, they don't care if at these, you know, at the meat processing plants that animals are tortured or they're hurt or they're suffering. What do you say to people who don't kind of equate animal life to even being in the same level as, as a human life. Wow. Well, to so, be honest, oh I, 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 I feel sorry for somebody who doesn't have any empathy for the other animals. Um, when I look at a dog or a cat or a horse, I see a soul. I see a sentient being. I see something real in front of me. Um, and that adds so much to my life. I know how much having dogs in my life, how much laughter and love it brings to my home. So if they don't get that part, I generally don't say much because they're missing that in their brain and in their heart. I can't make them understand it. But for those people who just kind of bury their head because it's ugly and they don't want to know about it, I will say to them, you really can do something about it. If each one of us just did a little bit, we could fix this. So, what's the bare minimum that we that people can do, even if they're not going to be Mr. Um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, animal Advocate? Right. If they don't want to devote their lives to it and be a nut like I am, running around all day with animals <laughs> in my park, uh, what they could do really is share it. Tell people what's happening in the shelters. Make sure they know not to shop at a store that's buying. Um, dogs from puppy mills, don't shop in any pet stores selling live dogs or cats. Only shop in stores that sell supplies. And uh, don't buy a puppy from a puppy store. They're coming from puppy mills, from bad places, who sell sick dogs most often. Um, okay. So I, I just think that sharing awareness would be the number one important thing we can do. One thing that I've been very successful with on Facebook and Twitter is when the abuse cases occurred and the media jumps on it, like just happened with a dog named Caitlin in South Carolina, um, there was a huge uproar because they found a dog with her mouth duct taped shut. It was awful. And she had had her mouth duct taped shut for about two days. 
And they did arrest the man who did it, and he does have a record. And they are taking good care of Caitlin now, and she's going to be adopted, and she's already been surgery done, and she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. Um, but everybody on Facebook is all cursing, let's kill this guy, let's... Just... And so I started a group called Tell Them Caitlin Sent You. And the whole purpose of the group is to use that negative energy to do something positive for the animals. And so far this week, we have hundreds of people dropping off blankets and towels and food to shelters and rescues, and they tell them, Caitlin sent them. And I think that that's one way of sharing awareness in a very positive way. Hey, Randy, can you please um, tell our audience about Shelter Revolution? We have millions of people in this country that work very, very hard every day to try to help the animals. There are rescuers all over the world doing it. And over time, out of our system, unfortunately, we kind of have been doing it as individuals all separately. Um, And I often say ego gets in the way of this. It's Mary's rescue and Janet's rescue. But if we looked at the big picture... And we have all of our rescues bring all the friendly, happy, social animals together. Instead of having one county shelter where all these animals are all caged up, scared and dirty and literally waiting to die, um, we could take all the friendly social animals, and that's approximately 85% of them on, um, and keep them together in a cage-free atmosphere that would be, of course, constantly supervised by people that are the A-dogs in the so-called group. But the rest of the animals would be fine, hanging out together, being social, playing, puppies with puppies. The labs could hang out in the shade. They want to go swimming in the lake. There's going to be a water feature. And each one of these individual community adoption centers would be offering spay and neuter services for the community vet services for the community, and the animals who are not social, the animals who need to be taught how to act better, what we call rehab, those animals would be the ones that should go to the rescues and let the rescuers work with them like they're doing right now. Now, this blueprint that you have, is this something that anyone could adopt in any county and Generally speaking, what are the the costs to set something like this up? Well, if you take the fact that right now in this country, we're spending over $2 billion a year killing animals, just the killing business, the drugs, the gas chambers, killing. And we took that $2 billion and focused it into creating an adoption center's that, I, again, as I said, would be county or community-based, um, we would be able to fund these without changing anything. We would be able to take that money and make this work. What it takes is for many rescues in one area to all work together. And that, believe it or not, is the, it's been the hardest part for me to overcome. Right now, there is a no-kill rescue in Albemarle and Charlottesville, Virginia, that is one of the oldest no-kill rescues in the country. They are going to be our beta testers for the shelter revolution. 
And in fact, right now, they are designing a campus for the animals where they will be able to live cage-free, where they'll be able to play, socialize, they'll have indoor-outdoor activities, they will get regular exercise every morning, because tired dogs are happy dogs. We'll wear them out in the morning with organized play activity, and in the afternoon open it up and let the families come in and have a nice place to visit where the kids can all see the animals acting like themselves. It's not going to be a guess about whether you're getting an active dog or an inactive dog. You're going to be able to see for yourself what they're like. And I think that will make a huge difference in the adoption rate. So at shelterrevolution.org, the entire program is outlined. It was designed by Thomas Cole, a man with over 50 years of sheltering experience in some very large shelters. Um, and we all know, anybody who's worked with animals, that most of the animals that we come across are one of the good, and they're very easy to work with. It's the few antisocial ones that need to be taken out of the main group so that you can keep everybody else happy. And those animals can be taught to learn new tricks. That's awesome. And Mr. Randy Orloff, such a great honor to have you with us today. And to learn more about Randy, first off, you can find him on Facebook, and you can go to his website at spay, S-P-A-Y, neuterlove.com. Mr. Allah, thank you so much for your great efforts and works, and we, we wish you uh, many luck and many successes in the future. Well, thank you so much for your support, Lauren. It's been invaluable, and uh, I very much appreciate this opportunity. You have a very good night. Joining us now is Ms. Marianne Sullivan, co-host of Our Hen House podcast. You can learn more about that by going to the website at ourhenhouse.org. She's also professor of animal law at Columbia University. Marianne, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to be here, Ryan. Okay. Your podcast has reached probably thousands, if not millions of people, and you've really engaged people on a regular basis about some of the biggest issues concerning animal rights and why people should be more concerned about the rights of animals. What do you feel in your heart is the biggest reason why people should be more proactively involved in the life of animals and not just push them aside? Well, I think it's the social justice issue of the future. And for years, for, for almost all of human history, we have disregarded these creatures as, as not as important as us. And it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better as other issues have perhaps seen some progress. The condition of animals, even though people may be waking up to caring about them, the condition of animals, particularly on factory farms across the United States, is horrifying beyond imagination. What we are doing to the other creatures of the world, it, 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 it's the ultimate sin. These are, I mean, as we've known for millennia, people are, it is, it's not a new idea that animals are real, that animals have feelings, that animals have lives, that animals have emotions that they can suffer horrifically, that they can experience joy. They have their own lives, and yet we, we, we reduce their lives to just complete commodification for, for purposes that have become completely irrelevant to our 
own happiness, our own survival. It used to be that we needed to, to use animals to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish as human beings. We, in order to get anywhere, we had to hitch a horse to, to a cart. In order to survive, in, at least in northern climates, we had to eat them. This is no longer the case. Reality has moved past it, but our attitudes towards them have not gotten better. They've gotten worse as they become less necessary to our survival. Our treatment of them has become in so many ways more horrifying and more hidden, so much more hidden from the average person. People are able to put them out of sight and mind because the industries that control them keep them hidden, but we all know they're there and we all know they're suffering. I think that most people don't realize the numbers, the unbelievable numbers uh, of billions and billions and billions of animals. 287 animals are killed every second in the United States, just in the United States, just to eat. So people may not know the numbers, but they know it's bad. I would like to bring something to your attention and ask you this. In that earlier years of American history, it's a two-part question, do you feel that animals were treated more humanely especially when they were on farms? Do you feel that there was a more humane treatment of some of the animals? Well, I'm sure back then it varied, and it varied because animals are private property, so their treatment varies according to the to the whims of, the, of whoever owned them. But certainly as a system, it was far, far better. The invention of factory farming, which only goes back to the 40s, it was invented here in the United States where it was realized that we could cram enormous numbers of animals into very small spaces, into warehouses really. And they would live their short lives in warehouses, and we could make them, genetically modify them, breed them, so that they could grow very, very fast. So we can kill them when they're still just babies. And that way they won't have an opportunity to get sick as they they should from the horror in which they live. When we invented this just system of the devil, just, it, it is hideous. That was when animal, the treatment of animals truly reached its, its bottom level that it ever has had in history. And sadly, okay. that's on, in our own time. Well, it is in our time. And I want to know if, if you have any thoughts or reaction to this idea or theory that all things contain certain energies. And if you look at these animals that have gone through a tremendous amount of suffering that are accumulated these painful, painful memories and experiences, and it is embedded their flesh with those memories, with that pain, and then people will eat those animals. Do you feel that the pain and suffering of those animals is being transmitted directly to the people who consume them? If that is the case, do you think that that could be a hidden reason why there's so much anxiety, why there's so much fear, while there's so much terror and a great majority of the people that are consuming meat and other animal products, especially on animals that have been slaughtered in this horrific way? I mean, I think that's a that's a fascinating and insightful way of putting one of the great horrors of our time, and that is that people, whether it's the consumption of the flesh itself, or whether it's the denial that people are living in, that that every time they sit down to eat, they know they know in the back of their mind that they're contributing to suffering, and it's not something they are contributing. It's, this industry wouldn't exist without the people who buy its products, and whatever it is that is entering people's souls, it's got to be doing harm. And when you when you think about it, like it, it's been proven beyond any question that witnessing animal cruelty to animals for children when they're when they're young does some serious psychological harm. I mean there's no question about that. But think about 
what we do every single time we sit down to eat, whether we're children or adults, we are witnessing the results of animal cruelty. And in the back of our minds, it's become obvious, you know, that we know in the back of our minds, they were not fully conscious of it. We know it in our souls that that's what we're doing, that we're contributing to the suffering and the death of, of an innocent creature. What does that do to people? Of course, it's got to have a tremendous effect on the individual and on our society as a whole. To live in denial is a terrible thing for anybody to do. Okay, so are there any examples that you would specifically point to where you see societies or you see cultures that have a tremendous amount of respect or higher respect for animal rights and the treatment of animals as a direct correlation to their happiness, as a direct correlation to to their health. Well, you know, I, I think that this, the, the, the issue you brought up originally was is sadly the one that we have to think of, and that's timing. It's not some. I mean, factory farming has really taken over the world, and exploitation of animals has taken over the world, except perhaps through very small uh, pockets of areas where people um, have followed a vegetarian diet. But in past times, people, you know, I I can't identify a a time in our history, in anybody's history, when people really didn't exploit animals. But uh, it was so much less than it is now. And I think that contributed to a much more peaceful and happy way of life. It's certainly a part of, of what's happened to humans, that this exploitation of animals has existed. But... To tell you the truth, I think it has been part of human evolution for a really, really long time. And it is the future that we need to look to, the future of the human race. What could happen to us as a species, uh, for our own species, if we were to give this up, if we were to let this go, really perhaps for the first time in history? It, It could change everything when you think about being able to relate to our world and our earth without participating in death without feeling that death is a necessary part of, of our staying alive, without causing death. I think it would I think it would be a hugely important part of human evolution. And I think that that step is very much in the future. It's really not in our present or in our past. I, I'm why not is sure it not why, why is it in the future? See, there's one thing, because I've talked to individuals about that, and they said, well, this is something that's in the future, but it's as almost as if the future cannot be the future without action being taken in the present moment. And the question I have for you, Marianne, is right now, you have people that are listening right now, what are some of the immediate things that an individual can do at this exact moment to make this future, to build this future where we don't have this horrific, ongoing torture and murder of animals for mass consumption? What can the average person do right at this moment? It's so simple. Compared to any other hideous injustice in the world, which is really difficult to formulate how an individual can have an impact, we all participate in this horror, and we can all stop participating in it just by stopping eating them, stopping eating their flesh, stopping eating their milk, stopping eating the eggs. Just get them out of our diet. And the wonderful thing about it and why it is the future is that there's this synergy between the fact that what is good for the animals is also good for our own health, the best thing we can do for our own health. And it's also good for our planet. I, you know, animal agriculture is destroying our planet, and climate change is an enormous, uh, animal agriculture is an enormous participant in climate change. So when you think of the synergy between all of these things, every individual just by leaving animals out their plate can be part of that future. And then, of course, leave them off your own plate and spread the world to others. Come out. Come 
out as an animal activist, come out as a vegan. Tell other people why you're doing this and why it's so important and why the animals do matter. We've known for so long that animals matter. It's never been a question. Cruelty has been against the law for so long, but those laws are just never, have never been enforced against these kind of industrial horrors. It's something that we know in our souls and we've tried to make right, and now is the time we, we truly can make this right. We can change the world. Okay, and speaking of changing the world, I want to let everyone know that Marianne works with this great organization. It's called Our Hen House. It is a nonprofit organization. You can go to the website at ourhenhouse.org. You're going to find a tremendous amount of information about animal rights. And Marianne, I want to ask you, what do you feel has been maybe one or three of your greatest accomplishments with this organization? How do you feel that you've actually added a positive impact? And actually, how can people get more involved with your organization? You know, one of the things that I'm proudest of is is that we we help other people do wonderful things. And you know, we've gotten email. We're, we're most of our audience is the United States, but we really have an audience around the world. And we, in one week, we got emails from somebody who lives in rural Saskatchewan, another person who lives in Newway Island in the South Pacific, and both of them were saying that. We're the only animal rights advocates, the only vegans that they know, and we keep them going, and we keep them acting in their own community. So it's not our accomplishments that I'm most proud of. I'm proud of the fact that we create this community of people all around the world. It really is a nation unto itself, people around the world who care about animals, who want to see this change. And by being the connector, I think our hen house, and we do do a weekly podcast where over 300 episodes strong. It comes out every week like clockwork, and I think that people have told us that they rely on that to connect them to this to this nation, really, of 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 animal people who care, people who want to see this change, and I love that. I love our community, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. Miss Marianne Sullivan, thank you. So much for your time. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is animal communicator, Miss Patty Gibbons. <laughs> you can learn more about Miss Gibbons and get your precious four-legged buddy a reading with Miss Gibbons by going to her website at Patty P A T T Y Gibbons B I sorry G I B B O N S dot com. Miss Gibbons. Hi, Ryan. How are you? you? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing unbelievable. Good. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Let's go right into it. Sure. You communicate with animals. Mm-hmm. What do you, what, how do animals communicate with, with you? What, what are they generally saying? Uh, what are they generally saying? Uh, yes, most of the time. What are some of the common things? Anything or... that affects your life affects their life. Um, okay. And they communicate through, I get it through all my senses. Um. So I can hear things, smell things, taste things, see things, either actually physically there or third eye. And, um, yeah, it's they talk about health. They talk about relationships. They talk about basically anything we discuss. So are animals, even though they appear to be, I guess, simple-minded, that they're always driven by food or they want to go out and play, are they really much more complex and much more conscious than human beings give them credit for? Oh, I, I found that to be absolutely the case. Um, honestly, when I communicate with them, it's the same as if we're sitting here and speaking. Um, yeah, and of course, domesticated animals have, they're affected by more of the things that we are affected by than maybe a wild animal is. 
What do you mean that you had mentioned before? How is a domestic animal affected by what, what a human being is affected by? Um, well, say you come home stressed from work. Uh, the animal will pick up that stress, and they often stress also about it. I've, I've had animals discuss with me things that happened with their human during their work day, and the person will say, I haven't even discussed that with my family. Um, so if, if it's in your consciousness, if it's in your mind, if it's a concern of yours, they pick up on that. Okay. Do you feel that domesticated animals, domesticated pets, are some of them unhappy because they may spend most of their time indoors? Do animals generally like to be free, like to be around other animals and like to be running? That's, it actually is... Um, again, it could compare it to humans, but everyone is very individual. But I would say, for the most part, I don't think most, I've found most animals generally don't want to be left locked up home alone during the day. Um, even if, uh, I've had animals even just ask for a fish tank just to have another being in the house with them during the work day, during a person's work day. Okay. So, if a person, let me say this, let me rephrase the question. Some people might say, okay, is Patty really communicating with animals? Sure. Because think about all the possibilities you could discuss. You would imagine, a, per, a skeptical person would say, well, she's, Patty's probably going to say that my dog you know, wants to go outside more or have more time with her balls. I mean, maybe a dog doesn't have a, a disposable palette of choices and life choices that a human being would. So to come up with, uh, let's say, guesstimates on what the dog may or may not want might seem very valid. How do you tell people about that? How do you, how do you communicate and relay the, the knowledge and information that the communication you have with that animal is authentic and it's real sure. and that you're not actively seeking or just guesstimating what it could be wanting based on a dog's natural, you know, simplistic-like behavior? Right. That's, that's a very fair question, and I have had a lot of skeptics talk to me, and I'm like, I, I fully understand. I completely, and I can be a skeptic about things as well. Um, the thing is, as I communicate with these animals, there are often things that come up that are not related to the questions that the person can verify. You know, they'll talk about an incident that happened that the person wasn't even going to question about. Um, so, and again, you know, you can watch afterward. Okay, well, gee, yeah, maybe maybe my dog doesn't like the ball. He likes the frisbee better. You know, things that you can see afterward as well, it usually should coincide with what you were told. Um, and I understand also the question about, yeah, I mean, you know, I feel stupid sometimes <laughs> saying, you know, your greyhound says he likes to run. I mean, well, yeah, most mm. do. <laughs> However, um, I've had it where a lab doesn't want to swim. And the person's like, yeah, he doesn't really want to swim. You know, everyone expects the Labrador to love water. Um, personally, myself... I never really care for when people dress up their dogs. It's just not my kind of thing. And, you know, some of the animals look kind of upset about it, and some of them are indignant. And then I've had others turn around and tell me I want my green sweater. And the person's like, well, I do have a green sweater. Now, that to me, if it shocks me, you know, I'm like, I'm not expecting this. I know this is the animal because that's not my my own personal thoughts or beliefs about things. So... Um, there should always be something in the communication that lets you know that it was speaking with that animal. It's not me just pulling something out of the air. Okay. What is the comparable difference between an animal that is in a soul group that evolves as other animals 
and then an animal that has unique experiences and that may actually live with a human being. Does the trajectory of that animal's soul take a different course because it has contact with a human or because it has gone with beyond its soul group? Uh, <laughs> hmm. Well, I think every one of us changes with every interaction we have. Um, now, with the animals that I've spoken with, um, it's again, it seems so individual. I would say, so if you want to say soul group, saying like dogs have contact with soul group, a dog's soul group, um, I believe that you can have multiple connections with multiple soul groups. I've had animals, and this is this is very funny because I've had animals say, well, I was a dog, and then I was a cat, and then I was a dog again. Um, oh, so you're talking about animals that had like animal reincarnation. Yeah, yeah. So, so to me, that that I, I believe that kind of plays into that. Um, so I I don't I haven't found um, how would I put this? I haven't found that one precludes the other or one excludes the other. I should say I don't think that. Um, I haven't found that, you know, well, I'm just a cat and I have to just be a cat. I mean, of course, when it, once a cat's a cat, I don't think they'd ever want to be anything else yeah. <laughs> if you know cats. But um, I, the effect, I think, like, as I said, we all affect one another energetically with any interaction. Um, I still always believe there's also a choice about what you want to connect with more than another. Okay. Have you energy. ever... You know, have you ever come in con- – you know, there's some people who swear that their, um, their dog or their cat have human-type qualities. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they swear that they're humans. Have you ever come in contact with an animal that was a human in a previous life incarnation that decided to come back as an animal, you know, for, I guess, for the pure freedom of just you know, being an animal? Sure. Um, I, I've had – I've had where I would see human and animal, like spirit energy together. I did have a very interesting experience once, and this now this is this will encompass a few things here. But um, I was working with a man and his horse, and as I'm talking to this horse, I could not use the name that the person gave me of the horse, and I kept wanting to say Harry, Harry, you know. And it, the horse had a beautiful name, and not that Harry's not a beautiful name, but you know, it was just this long, beautiful name, and I, so I was speaking to the woman, and I said, I'm sorry, the man, and I said that I can't say the name. I keep getting Harry, and Harry was describing these, these back injuries he had, this horse of hers, and, and going on, how it was affecting this leg, and the woman stopped me, and she said, I, I have to let you know, Harry was my father. And my father had the same back injuries and the same leg injury that her horse, his, oh, wow. sorry, his horse now had. Um, so now this is okay. She had the, he had, oh my gosh, I keep saying she, he had the horse while his father was still alive. So now are we talking about did the soul join? Is there work that still needs to be done with the father? Did the father possess the horse? You know, um, it gets, it's funny because doing this, you have to be very open-minded. And I try not to set myself in any kind of thought pattern because <laughs> um, they just get blown away. And it's also, you, you miss out and you would dismiss things that are really important and you don't need to dismiss, should not be dismissing. In our world, 
I th- there's a lot of cruelty to animals. I think animals are, are mistreated. They're abused. There's so many cases of animals you know, being mistreated and abused. And what I wanted to know is, is that abuse part of that animal's agreement prior to coming into this life that it will experience that abuse? Is it crucial to its evolution? Or is that abuse? Uh, why, do, why do some animals have to experience abuse and other animals have like wonderful, comfortable lives? Yeah, that's something I often question <laughs> about human animals as well. Um, but personally, what I've found is speaking with animals is there, there does seem to be some kind of experience they, they need to have beforehand. Very often, and for the most part, I have to say, animals that I've worked with that are rescue animals that have been through horrific conditions, normally they won't discuss it. They don't want to talk about it. They're through it. Um, and I think it is kind of a human factor, too. I think we would do better if we could dismiss a lot of, and not to negate it, not pretend it didn't happen, but not to hold on to some of the abuses and some of the horrors we go through in life. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a part of it. I mean, it's always going to be a, probably a point of reference. Right. And I don't know. Most people, or even dogs, re, you know, regret. I'm sorry. Most dogs or humans have a hard time forgetting that, yeah. especially if it's so horrible. Yeah, yeah. And, and to say, I mean, you can see some abused animals still will have a trigger. Um, and I, I, I've been through some horrible things myself, and there are things that will trigger me. But it's like, okay, I know I'm. It doesn't normally consume me, but there are certain things that will get me upset or have me a little reactive. And, you know, again, that's just part of being, in, you want to say, in this plane and physical body. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, and I have had them say, this is a lesson. I, I learned from this. And now I also learned that, you know, people are still wonderful. There are wonderful people out there who are rescuing, who are, who are doing healing and, and helping. And that's something I think that can help you learn. There is bad, but then there is good, too. It's kind of a balance there. You know, it's not just necessarily one or the other. Okay. Have you ever come across, you know, some people, they like to talk to their animals and tell them about their day and tell them about all these things that are going on in their lives and boyfriends. Right, Have sure. you ever talked to an animal and had the animal say, I am so bored. I, I can't believe they tell me the same story. I swear. I mean, and they, do they ever like get upset about that? Um, <laughs> most animals do actually appreciate that I've come across, they do appreciate their person speaking with them. Uh, They generally have a problem if somebody tries to pretend nothing is going on or everything's fine. They're like, well, I know you're upset about this or this is what's going on. Some will get frustrated if the person, all they do is complain and not do anything proactive to rectify the situation. But, um, yeah, most animals do do you actually prefer we speak with them that I've come across? <laughs> okay, so it's okay. But, I mean, I'm just curious. So I guess if you're too whiny, they may get upset. Well, again, if it's something that needs to be addressed that you're not taking care of and it's the same thing over and over again, yeah, I've had them complain about that. And, again, it's okay. more they want their human their their human family to be happy. They want them to make better choices and, and like I said, not hold on to the things like the past abuses. But let that stuff go and move on and do something more beneficial for yourself. All right. As let's the let's have some fun with this. What are the top three common pet peeves you hear from animals about human beings, and what are the top three 
things that animals tend to really appreciate and love about humans. Okay. Hmm. Top three. Okay. Well, yes, there is the spending a lot of time alone, not getting out and doing things. Uh, another big one is when people have an agenda that does not agree with the animal's agenda, whether it be, uh, gee, I want to do agility with this dog, and the dog has no interest in whatsoever in agility. Um, or, you know, I want to buy... I want to breed, let's have puppies. No, I, I don't want to have puppies, or I want to have a say in who my mate is going to be. Um, and then, so let's see, three, it's very repetitive. Um, oh, ignoring or not trying to find out when an animal behavior changes, not trying to find out the cause, just just presuming that they're being either grumpy or, you know, oh, I just need to do this or that, and not really looking at the situation and seeing what precipitates it. Um, and then the other question was, the, what top three, what animals enjoy about being with humans? Yeah. Oh, everything. No. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they enjoy company. They like, a lot of them want to have experiences. Of course, it's usually more tight dogs and horses, um, but like outside experiences with their people. Um, cats, I, I've found, enjoy the quiet time with their people. Um, having them be more reflective. They like they like spending time with people who do that. I know cats um, and people have talked to me. I was just speaking with someone the other day who does energy work and energy healing, and the cats all over. I've heard, I hear this numerous times. They Cats really seem to enjoy when people focus on internal and healing, and they like that energy, and they like to be around that energy. And uh, I, I really, this might sound corny, or it might sound very basic, but... They enjoy sincere love is what I've found. They enjoy that when people are concerned, they know that. Even if you can't give them what you feel would be the best quality in life or, you know, they don't have diamond-studded collars or they sincerely enjoy true interaction and true love, and they absorb that. And, and I know you have pets. You know that they reflect it as well. Okay. Does Do animals respond to vegetarians any differently than it would be to normal people? Is there a certain yeah? Is there a certain resonance or an energy resonance that an animal will pick up on? Uh, well, I have to say, um, I used to I used to be a meat and potato girl growing up, and now I eat strictly vegan. Um, I don't find that they behaved any differently with me. Again, as long as the interaction with them is, is true and sincere, and they they know you're being honest, and there's a real love there, they seem very much drawn toward that. Uh, of course. You know, the animals that are farm factory animals and all, of course, there's going to be a whole different, that's a whole different realm. But, um, you know, since I was little and I was, I was, I hated vegetables growing up, but I always had dogs and cats approaching me and birds. And so I, I think it's just your own energy. And if you're loving and open and they know that you love animals, because people who eat meat still love animals, uh, a lot of them don't realize what the whole, the whole system is, but... Um, you know, as long as that love is there, they pick that up, and that's the most important thing that I've found with them. Do animals respond to sage the way that human beings do? Like, can you sage an animal, and then by saging an animal, clear away any negative entities or pain or suffering that the animal has picked up on throughout the course of the day? Okay. Um, well, it's, it's funny that you said that because. Um, I actually have a horse right now who was just colicking. I had the vet here today. Um, an older mare I had 
loved when I burned incense around her. Absolutely loved it and would stand there, and she seemed to get relief from that. Others don't want anything to do with it. Um, I've, I've done some energy healing, and some of my animals are fine, and they'll just absorb it. And I've had animals walk away and go, no, not now. I've got this. Like, okay. So, it's, again, it's kind of like any, any human who wants either healing or doesn't want healing. So some are more receptive, and at certain times, maybe they'll be more receptive than others. Miss Patty Givens, that was a great interview and fun interview. And to learn more about Miss Givens, please go to her website at Patty, P-A-T-T-Y, Givens, G-I-B-B-O-N-S dot com. Thank you so much, Miss Givens. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now are three of the four Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show Virtues. Starting off, we have... Psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. We also have psychic medium, empath, Miss Lisa Casa. Oh, and new, soon to be best selling author, Miss Lisa Casa. Website, lisacasa.com. And we also have Miss Angel Reader, Laura Lynn. Psychic medium, angelreader.com. Actually, angelreader.net? Angelreader.net. Yeah. Angelreader.net. Welcome all to the program. Can I please ask you, do you all see animals as being spiritual beings more evolved than human beings? Yes, I do, Ryan. This is Carrie, and I believe that animals have a consciousness. I see when they cross over, they go to the heavenly dimensions. They come in here to teach people unconditional love. And they are connected to their heart a lot more than humans are. Okay. Do they, for any reason, have were, were some animals that are here now, were they human beings in previous lifetimes? Were they animals that were animals here now? Were they human beings that were really in touch with their hearts? I've seen animals that were human beings in the, in the past life, for sure. Okay. And, uh, Laura, when you work with clients and you see that they have a pet, what visual impact are you seeing that animal have on a person? Do you find that people who have animals are in some way, shape, or form changed? Are they more protected? Well, it depends on what kind of animal they have, Ryan, to what how it does impact them. Um, I have to say that there, when the familiar comes through the animal, uh, which means basically it could be a loved one or a past uh, soul soul friend or a, a soul guide, that oftentimes they're going to be reminiscent right into the animal spirit, if you will, the animal consciousness. And that certainly can help us uh, evolve and grow. And I, I'm sorry to be a little bit lengthy here, but there is, but also if the animal is here for the, the same person itself, uh, there, there's going to be a really strong connection, and uh, usually dogs and cats tend to have that type of connection with a dog, with uh, with people. Okay, so do you all believe that that animals come into certain incarnations, reincarnating as the animals or pets from people that they've had in previous lifetimes? It can in that way, or a spirit of a a past uh, a person can also host into the animal. It's almost like a shared body. This is going to sound like a, uh, I guess, an unusual question, I guess. From a human perspective, 
Think about a dog. Think about a dog having a spirit guide. What could that spirit guide possibly be teaching the dog? You know, play with your ball more, play with your toys more. Oh. You, <laughs> you didn't yeah. play enough no. last night. You spent too much time with yourself. Like, what are some of the spirit guides the animals? <laughs> no, what I was referring to, um, Ryan, is it's a way for the spirit guides to manifest in a physical level. The dog will, like, act as a host so that the spirit guide energy can host into the dog and kind of be there more in a physical level with the person. So it's not there necessarily for the dog. It would be more for the human. And this one is directed for Miss Kaza, who when you speak to Miss Kaza, you hear dogs, parrots. I mean, she's got a mini zoo in the background. I was wondering, Miss Kaza, are there <laughs> any particular types of animals that have a higher vibrational frequency or that are much more evolved? Uh, no, all animals are are equally highly involved. I agree with what Carrie said earlier. They're all so highly evolved, so in tune with themselves and with their emotions and with the emotions and needs of others around them. And so we as humans can learn a lot from, from them. Um, from a spiritual perspective, though, let's, let's say if we go into the native tradition, um, they do have, I guess you could say, different quote-unquote levels of, if you want to call it evolution, but I don't like that word. But, for example, they look at the eagle, which is the highest of flyers on the earth, as the being the closest to the creator or divine. And then the, the lowest from that is that of the hawk, which is one of, of my spirit totems. So they go, you know, they they do have something of a succession in that sense. But in 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 my practice and what I've always felt around animals is that they're all on the same level. Okay. And Carrie, have you ever noticed animals electively deciding to be vegetarian? How can an animal constantly decide and say, "Look, yes, you know, what? I've heard." Really. I absolutely have heard of animals that choose not to uh to be a vegetarian as you say okay is is that what does that um what does that do for them does that raise their vibration and also this is a two part question and it's going to be directed mm-hmm. to Gary and to you Lawrence you Lisa when a person decides to stop consuming meat what impact will that actually have on their vibration can they be somebody who's really got a huge heart that loves people and eat meat. Like what? What exactly does that do to their spirit, the frequency? Well, a lot. Of, there's a thought, Ryan, that when uh, somebody eats uh, beef, let's say that you absorb the pain that the cow felt before, or the pig, or just think of the 2020 uh, TV shows that they show you how the chickens are raised, the cows, the pigs and they're all smushed together, and they live a life full of pain, right? And so the thought form is that the pain is absorbed in that body, and they're slaughtered, and then when somebody eats it, they're picking up the pain of the animal, and it goes into the person's body. So when they stop eating it, they can clear their self, and they're not eating the pain. There's many thoughts of uh, different spiritual teachers say you have to be a vegetarian to enter the spiritual realms and all that stuff. I'm not totally... 
I'm not I'm not an all or nothing kind of person. I think there's always a middle road. And my, for myself, being an O type diet, when I try to tr do vegetarian, it throws my system all off. So I do eat fish and salmon, and sometimes my body's craving for meat, and I need meat. I mean, my body's craving for it, and so I try to get the um, free range where they're not, you know, in the slaughterhouses, but. Everybody's different, but what you do see with people that tend to be vegetarian and not get, you know, go through the um, the slaughterhouse kind of um, eating the slaughterhouse kind of animals, that they're they're not connected to the pain body of the animal that had a miserable life, and all they were raised was to for product and not um, recognized as an, a living being. Okay. I find that sorry, Ryan. I was going to say I find that very interesting what you said earlier, Carrie, about you know absorbing the the pain of the animals because mm -hmm. for for myself, like uh, where we live, it's our way of life where we do um, once in a while hunt. Mm -hmm. So we'll you know we'll like maybe one year it'll we'll have a bear, yeah. or another year it'll be a moose. Sure. Well, one year it was deer. Yeah, <laughs> and now I can eat pretty much any any wild meat. It tastes all the same to me. It's awesome, and it's you know it's natural, mm -hmm. and I feel that a oneness though with yeah. the animal, mm -hmm. a very very high respect for them and their life. Mm -hmm. But I cannot eat deer meat for the life of me. I can't stand the taste of it. Can't stand the smell of it. Doesn't matter how well it is cooked. Mm -hmm. I cannot eat it. Mm -hmm. Well, I found out that uh, through, again, through Native tradition, I am, I, I don't know how to explain this. You'll probably understand what I mean, but I am part deer spirit. Deer spirit. Yep, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, I'm from the deer clan, as they say. Yep. So in Native tradition, I'm actually not allowed to eat deer meat because it, essentially I'd be eating my own kind. <laughs> Wow, I yeah, absolutely so, understand what you're saying. Yeah, but I understand too what you say about you know absorbing the emotions too. Right. And and having that respect as well. Right. My ex-husband was a hunter and he had um, native blood and he did use every piece of the animal. He used the bone, he used the skin, he used the meat, and so that that meat did not have the pain. You know, it did not. It was very different from. Again, the slaughterhouses that you see that um, the animals are just purely raised for, for us to slaughter and to consume. Yeah, I agree totally. And that's why even, you know, for our beef consumption, mm -hmm. we actually go straight to the farmer. There you go. Straight to the farmer. And it's the best quality beef we, you could ever possibly ask for. And I don't, don't feel sick after right. eating it. Right. Well, do you see this yeah. as well? Do you feel? Do you see that as well? Do you feel that you actually um, have? You actually have, can you visually see or feel that when people are consuming animals that have been slaughtered in such a way on a farm that they actually are consuming the uh, pain and suffering? Yes, I think that's why I got I get so sick. Even even if Yvonne goes to the store and gets pork because we we can't buy uh, pork from from the farmers around here. It's just mainly beef and buffalo, so. You get some pork chops right afterwards. I I just I can't stand it. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. well, no. And chicken too. So I don't. I I actually will not eat chicken. I refuse to eat it. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. 
so you know yeah i yeah totally there's a big huge major difference and i do believe it's like what carrie said you're absorbing the pain and the suffering and and the the lack of love and nurturing and life that the animals had didn't have right well the next question is directed uh, to everyone but we'll start with you laura about this and that question is do animals know before they come into their next life incarnation that they're going to experience a life of pain and suffering and if so why would they actively do that what is the what is the purpose for that evolution to go through there if they are already are at a beautiful level where they're already providing unconditional love where maybe they're not going to be as much different in the next life incarnation i mean if they they go through suffering for this one are they going to be less inclined to show unconditional love like what's the purpose of suffering for animals well, you know, I really don't know that I know that answer because I haven't asked that particular question to the uh, animal world, spirit world. However, from my just impression that I'm feeling is that the animal does have the path, life path just like we do. There's a pre-planning phase. And uh, basically their knowledge of coming into this world, maybe to – Maybe it's about teaching. Maybe it's about you know bringing their their substance to to sacrifice. You know, because um, when we do when there is a sacrifice, there is an evolu- evolving energy or higher ascension, perhaps. Um, but you know, I kind of want to feed into what we were talking about here just a moment ago, and kind of tag into that too. Because there is something to be said about the spirit of the animal going in within us. And, you know, of course we want to try to be as, as conscientious as we can as far as what type of animal we're eating, if the animal was treated cruel or if it was, you know, given a life that it could, you know, eat natural foods and be, you know, free range and have a happy life. Um but, you know, regardless of what we're getting or consuming, I mean, blessing that food and appreciating the animal itself, I think, is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's just kind of my beliefs, is, and it seems to help considerably. Okay. And uh, Lisa and Carrie, did, do you want to take a shot at that? I agree. The uh, Blessing your food before you have it absolutely um, changes the frequency. It aligns you with the attitude of gratitude. I've seen where animals come in, and it's just like I saw the um, – I asked one time the, my guides, why would a child decide to be born in Africa with AIDS and starving and just live a life of the first 18 months just torturous? And and they it was part of the greater good. They knew that it was part of the evolutionary uh, path, and they had a greater purpose. Same with the animals. I believe that they know that they're going to be born into a very restrictive lifetime, but hopefully they're hoping every, with more awareness and people talking about it and that it could change and people um, could stop eating, you know, products that are just, they're not looked at, they're just looked at as our consumption because we're the, the higher man and that we deserve to be able to just, you know, go and pound the seals to get their fur or just go and, um, you know, kennel up as much uh, beef that we can, and um, they they have that consciousness of it's for the greater good. They see the bigger picture, you could say. And the last question I have for all three of you is this. 
Well, actually, it's a two-part question. One, what can a person do on a metaphysical level to bring about greater peace and compassion towards animals, maybe do something that can ease their suffering? And the second part of that question is, what can people do to bring about greater peace, love, compassion, and protection to their, their own animals that they have? So for that one, we'll start with you, Ms. Gaza. Well, the the main, the, the most immediate thing that comes to to my mind is that of sending tremendous amounts of, as I had mentioned earlier, respect, respect for the lives that have been lost, um, respect for the lives that are going to be continuously lost, unfortunately, unconditional love to all of the animals, and unconditional healing for the spirit itself. Um, because with, you know, even with humans that have been, you know, somewhat tortured in their lives and haven't been able to, to propel themselves forward out of it, they tend to get stuck in this limbo-like state when they it, it pass on. And so they look for that vindication, I guess, or, and, and, and answers and, and love and blessings to move on. Um, it's the same with the animals. I do feel that there's, um, even though they may have been incarnated for whatever purpose to experience that for whatever reason, there's still, I'm being told, unfinished business on their end. They still have so much to do. For example, they didn't get to experience that unconditional love from an owner. So try to send out those blessings of love and prayer and let them know that it is coming, that they will get it and they are getting it now. And it's the same that goes for our pets today, like for pet owners. The simple thing is you can actually sit down and communicate with them. Communicate with them one-on-one. But it's hard for animals to understand words. They like emotion. Emotion is a big one for all animals. Communicate with your emotions. Instead of saying, I love you, show it through imagery or just even giving a hug. Um, that itself raises their their vibrational frequencies as well as their well-being. Okay. And, uh, and Bella's still staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bella's still staring yeah, Carrie, how do you, how would you respond to it? I'd say as far as um, pet owners, I agree. I think you should love them, appreciate them, consider them part of the family, but not hierarchical, like they're underneath the table. It's almost like energetically inviting them to your table. I When I would do animal readings, they show me very quick pictures, but I'm very visual. So I'll send that back or I'll bombard my cat, my aunt, not bombard, I'll just send out pink hearts to my animals and they could be across the room and they'll turn around and they'll smile they'll come running to me so you could they uh, absorb telepathic you send telepathic um, information to them they absorb it they don't have the staticky energy that we have the humans tend to be all staticky so they miss the message they have a clear community so they pick up feelings they pick up pictures they they're constantly given information as far as I'm concerned, tap into dolphins. Dolphins are a huge thing with me. I saw, since I was little, I used to imagine, I, I saw a lifetime where I was a dolphin. 
So the, the communication that we have with animals, be it our own pets or those that are in the slaughterhouses, you could send energy over there. And it's hard to not do judgment, especially when you hear of the uh, story of the policeman going and just shooting the dog, um, defenseless dog, or the, just the slaughterhouses. It's trying to get yourself into that heart space, trying to get out of mind and emotion. Really, sometimes, Ryan, I have to just surrender and say, I don't understand what's going on, how somebody could be in that state, but I, I know with every single cell of my body that love conquers everything, unconditional love conquers everything, so I have to kind of surrender over. I might not know the reasons why things happen to certain animals, but I do know love creates literal energetic bridges. So an animal could live in a very restricted place, but you could have like a rain of love going down to those animals, and it'll just make their life and experience a little bit better. I think that that's what Bella is trying to tell me, because mm-hmm. we keep talking about emotions, and I'm looking into her eyes. She's definitely wanting to get in on this conversation. I'm yeah, sorry, <laughs> but but uh, she uh, the the what I'm getting from my own dog right this very second is that she wants everyone to know that. Uh, All animals have emotions just like humans do. They feel depression. They Mm -hmm. feel happiness. They feel anxious. They feel scared. They have every single emotion that a human could ever possibly experience. And so you have to, so what she's trying to say is you have to realize that we're actually all the same. And you know what, Mm -hmm. hey, Miss Lynn, before we we go to you, Laura, I want to know, Lisa, can we ask Bella a question? You can try. All right. Joining us now <laughs> is Bella, Miss Cosmo's beloved pet. Bella. She okay. actually looked up at you. Okay. Bella, from your perspective, what are like three of the four things that annoy humans the most? And have you ever, ever contemplated just running away from home because your, your owners were driving you crazy? <laughs> Because she actually just gave me a weird-ass look. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, she wishes that Lingo would leave her alone, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Any annoying habits that uh, human beings do that dogs, uh, her her fellow brethren, do not appreciate? Yeah, she doesn't like being told to shut up when she's trying to alert me that someone's coming at the door. Okay. It, like you just said, I'm pretty sure that's what she's trying to tell me. Yes, you can do it. And uh, Miss Lynn, if you are looking at, at a means to protect your animal, protect your pet, what are some of the techniques you would recommend there, refer someone to? Well, you know, I'm going to say a couple of things about that. Um, first of all, as an animal kingdom of all animals, um, I think it's really, really helpful for us to learn what our animal totems are. Because mm-hmm. once we learn the spirit of the animal that's working with us, we're actually stepping into that kingdom. So we're going to be much more compassionate towards them. We might love animals, but it takes it to a whole new level once you walk into that that um, spirit level. With the, it, it, it takes it to a whole new space oh, once exactly. you do understand who your what your totem is your spirit totem animal totem and what that means from the power source of that animal now it's going into our personal pets one thing is i i think it's so nice when people actually get portraits of their pets done or get special pictures and and put those around just like they do their family members 
because these are our family members. These are our, you know, these are um, our, our, our children, you know, in, in essence. And what we are here, you know, when we're here interacting with the animal, personally, I know I spoil my princess cat, as, you know, as, to the, you know, to, she, is, she is like the most ridiculously spoiled cat. I've ever seen in my life, but um, she, you know, I got water glasses up on the night table, up on my desk. Um, I have them all <laughs> over the house because she likes to just be right there with me, and I don't want to put her down. You know, you, somebody was mentioning the hierarchy, um, not to put them in, into a different space than where we're at, but let them be there with us, and that's really important. I think that this shows that we respect them. And I feel like that, that they're going to be that much more respectful to us, too, and that much, you know, better to us to help us. If dogs had their own type of uh, late-night doggy viewing online, <laughs> naughty doggy viewing, would they be looking at pictures of other dogs in compromising positions or pictures of human legs? Okay. Oh, I my know gosh. Where this, I know where this is coming from. <laughs> No, I've never heard of doggy porn in my life. Me <laughs> either. <laughs> so you always have to take it to the edge, though, don't you, Ryan? I can't help it. And on that note, we want to thank our incredible virtues, Miss <laughs> Carrie O'Connor. Get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss Laura you, Lynn, please get our website at angelreader.net. You can learn more about it. Get a reading with her. And Miss Lisa Kaza. Learn about, more about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Our three beloved virtues. Truly an honor, as always, to have you guys on the program. Thank you, Ryan. Thank Love you, guys. Ryan. Thank you. Love it was you. fun Love as you, always. Ladies. Okay, everyone. That concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Intertooth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests, as well as our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn. Miss Lisa Casa and the Astro Phenom, Miss Constance Dallas. Learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show by going to her website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>